welcome to Share Talk. Today we've got a new business that's just IPO'd onto the stock exchange here. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Martin Eels, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Rainbow Rare Earth. How are you there, sir? Good, thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. Right, first of all, as I normally do with any sort of new company, uh, could you tell us about yourself, your background, and obviously the board of directors that you have around you? Okay, well, very briefly on my background, um, I worked in the city uh, for 15 years in the mining sector, advising a number of public listed mining companies on raising money, doing deals. Um, lastly, I was a managing director at Royal Bank of Canada in London in the mining team. Uh, and I joined the Pella Group, which is actually Rainbow's largest shareholder, about three years ago uh, and have been running Rainbow since about September 2014 as one of the portfolio companies in the, the Pella Group. I'm joined on the board by my chairman, Adonis Peroulis, who is the driving force behind the, the Pella Group. He's also chairman of Petra Diamonds, which many of the listeners may be aware of. It's a London-listed FTSE 250 company, which he founded. Um, he's also on the board of the AIM company, Chariot Oil & Gas. But within the Pella Investment Group, there are a number of other projects that um, Pella has investments in. And typically, they are resources projects across Africa that uh, may soon also be coming to market. Uh, alongside Adonis and myself, we have three non-executive directors, Sean McCormick, who is an international affairs specialist. He actually worked in the White House and in the Clinton administration as head of the Africa desk. He's very well connected across Africa. Um, and indeed, his, his knowledge of uh, diplomatic and political affairs is, is very helpful uh, indeed crucial to, to our investment strategy within the Pella Group. And then Robert Sinclair, who's a uh, a very experienced non-executive director has worked on a number of London-listed companies. He's Guernsey-based uh, to represent uh, the Guernsey Corporation of our company. And we're joined by Alexander Lowry as a non-exec who's a former investment banker and now works in the financial services industry. So quite a sort of broad-ranged group of individuals and they all seem to be sort of at the top of their game if you like obviously you touch there obviously Sean McCormack um, he used to work for the government of America you can't get much bigger than that and obviously you touch there on Adonis from Petra Diamonds who obviously that's a quite a major sort of diamond company there the tick on that one's PDL isn't it so, That's right. Well, I, I would, Stephen, I'd also add to, to the board in terms of the operational and senior management. Um, alongside me working day to day in the business, we have our, our mine or project manager, Bram Jankovic, who's, who's 30 years plus experience of, of running mining operations in Africa. And indeed, um, a great asset we have in the company is our uh, Burundi country director, Gilbert Medende, who's a former minister of mines in Burundi. Uh, he has a PhD in geology, uh, and uh, he's incredibly well-connected and respected in Burundi, which is where our asset is. That sort of stole my next question about, obviously, the team that you've got working on the ground there, and obviously the historical mining that's gone on, obviously, on the ground 
and what what you're sort of seeing as an overall project and I would like to just touch obviously on what is the sort of ethos behind the Pella Group and how do you fit in with that obviously listing the Rainbow Rare Earths. Yeah, so Pella is a, is a natural resources in, investment company that uh, is, is led by Adonis Perulis. And typically it takes very early stage projects in natural resources in Africa and funds them from day one until they, they reach the point when they can seek to go independent and, and seek outside finance. Now, some of those companies stay private uh, and some will access the public markets. So in relation, obviously, to your project, the Gakara Rare Earth Project, it's located in the province of Western Burundi, which is obviously in Africa, for those people that don't know. And what is the sort of geopolitical area like there? Because it's not a it's country as, that turns sorry. up for a, a lot of companies. No, no, there, is, there isn't uh, much... Uh, certainly no listed companies operating in Burundi at the moment and, and indeed the, the mining industry is at a nascent stage. We found operating uh, since we obtained our first exploration license in 2011 um, a, a very simple uh, and easy place to do business. Um, we've, we've been working with the government and the local people since 2011 as I say on our exploration and then turning the project into a mining project by applying for and being granted a 25-year mining license. Um, within our team, we've got experience of working in many African countries, and, and indeed Burundi is, has been one of the, the more simple ones to operate in. You touched there on the mining license, saying that it's valid for 25 years. That was granted in the first quarter of 2015. What sort of work That's have you right. done on the site since that point in time? What we've done since then, we've um, conducted uh, bench testing of mining to, to prove to our, ourselves you know, the technique of mining that is appropriate for a vein deposit like this one. We've um, undertaken test processing of our run of mine ore to design the most efficient plant. Um, we've re-verified all our costs in the, the financial model going forward. And, and really, it takes to get ready for an IPO these days from start to finish. It's a five or six month process. So really from to mid to late summer last year, we've been working on getting ready for the IPO, which completed today. Now, obviously, I've already touched on the fact that there was historical mining in the area. Um, obviously, that was some time ago and modern techniques and things being the way they are will obviously show you a lot more there. Could you just give us a brief overview on the mining area, the mining site and that historical sort of data that you would be able to see? Yeah, well, one of the key advantages we have is that this used to be a mine. Um, it tells us a whole host of information, not least that the product that came out of the ground was saleable. It was a rare earth concentrate that could be separated into its constituent parts. We know that it was sold into Europe. Uh, there were buyers in France and Germany in the old days. And one thing I should say is this mine operated from about 1948 to 1978. Uh, the world was a very different place there in terms of demand and uses for rare earths. But you know, we have the confidence in knowing yeah, how the site was mined and the product sold. So it gave us a great step up when we first took on the project in 2011. And indeed, we we inherited that information, but also some geological survey work that had been undertaken in the early 80s by 
the German Geological Survey. So what we've been able to do is re-verify the, the vein deposits that they mapped. Uh, and indeed, we found those uh, and, and many more. So in relation to, obviously, the geological sort of area there, what is the sort of grading you're seeing and what is the plans to obviously further define that? Um, I obviously note that you've already got some sort of JORC compliant resource in place, um, but it's not yet going to go to the next step where it can actually be determined as a full resource. Well, that's right. I mean, the key thing here is the grade. Uh, across the deposit, as the competent persons report in our prospectus confirms, we've got an average grade of 57% rare earth oxide. So 47 to 67% is the range. That is uh, multiples higher than the average rare earth deposit around the world. So what makes this is the percentage grade. And because it's such high grade, that leads to simple and, and low cost mining. Uh, you correctly said we've got an expiration target uh, signed off by the competent person. Now, in, in the Jork hierarchy, that is one rung below a Jork resource. But crucially, because our costs of going into mining uh, are so economical, the competent person has suggested that actually starting mining makes more sense here than uh, a drilling campaign, which would likely cost more uh, simply because of the vein stockwork nature of the deposit means you'd need a tightly spaced grid to uh, to get to a jork resource at this stage. Now, it's one thing we may have on our list of things to do in the future. I'm not saying we'd never have a jork resource, but yeah, the information we have at the moment and the agreement of the competent person is that it makes much more sense to start mining now. So the normal effective route for a lot of mining companies is to do the pre-feasibility study and then define the resource and then do a bank feasibility study and then go down a joint venture route or to sell the asset on. What is your plans for the future for this asset? We are going to use the proceeds from the IPO to, to start mining as soon as possible. Uh, we'll be mining run of mine ore, processing that later in the year, and we'll have first sales uh, targeted for Q4 this year. In relation to the surrounding area, what is the sort of accessibility like? Obviously, it's previously been a mine, so there is an assumption there that there's going to be good links there to road infrastructure. Is there anything further you need to add to make this a more valuable asset in place? Yeah, our plans with the IPO proceeds are to to import and construct our processing plant. It's uh, you know as these things go, it's not a great deal of money. It's about one point three to million dollars to purchase, uh, and that will simply process the the run of mine ore. The, the mining area itself is about an hour's drive or an hour and a quarter southeast of, of the capital city, Bujumbura, so very accessible. Uh, no major infrastructure needed either to access the site or, um, or take the material out uh, to be processed. In relation to the business, the company and the local economics, again, I note that you obviously got a sort of social responsibility there in place as does a lot of sort of African companies. How long have you been on the ground and obviously been in touch with the local communities? We've been fully involved and, and kept 
the local community is fully involved since we started work in 2011. Uh, one of the, the most important parts of our work is, is keeping that information flow going between us and the local community. And I think it shows in the strong support we have from the local administration, um, politicians and, and indeed the local people. They, they just want us to start mining. Remember, this is an area uh, which is in the countryside. For some of these people, you know, there are no... Uh, forms of, of formal employment. So, you know, the strong uh, support for the project. We've obviously addressed in public meetings people's questions along the way. Uh, and I think it's it's now at the point where uh, the local people just want us to get started. In regards, obviously, to the main project, is there obviously several locations within that project, or is it just the main project that you've got there at Vicara or are you looking to expand further to bring sort of lower economical costs to development there? What, what we have in our mining license is an area of 39 square kilometres so there will be a number of mining areas that we will tackle um, sequentially. We have defined our first two mining areas which are called Gasagwe and Gashiwe West uh, and they've been reviewed by the competent person in the, in the report that's in the prospectus. But as the crow flies, the, these mining areas or mining faces are, are only you know, two, three, four kilometres apart. So there's, there's no great infrastructure required because we have a very small mining fleet uh, and then a, a workforce extracting the vein material that will be processed. So in regards, obviously, to the prospects of the business going forward, what news flow do you hope and expect to hit and achieve this year? And what is the sort of mid to long term view of the business? Well, the key news flow items this year, and these are the ones that make the project so exciting, are that we intend to not only start mining um, within the next few months, but also once the processing plant is imported, construction and commission will be processing the run of mine ore and indeed turning that product into concentrate, which can be sold in Q4 this year. So I think for you know, any junior mining company coming to market, being able to say they're targeting all those things in the first year is incredibly exciting. Beyond that, we want to, to ramp up production of concentrate and thereby benefit from economies of scale. Crucially, the plant we're purchasing now and constructing now has capacity to produce up to 10,000 tonnes a year of concentrate without further investment. Our short-term target of production is to get to 5,000 tonnes a year. So it's there's a lot of capacity in there for no further capital investment, which is yeah, is obviously a nice position to be in from our perspective and, and should, if cash flows are generated, uh, mean that the project is not consuming that cash on further capital investment. So in regards, obviously, to the processing costs and sort of forward sales, have you got agreements in place or will it just be sold to whoever wants it at that point in time? What we're producing is a rare earth concentrate, Stephen. So this is, um, I guess, an upstream product that uh, purchasers will need to turn from the concentrate into separated rare earth oxide. So that product, we're going to be the only producer outside of China of rare earth concentrate, which in this era of resource security and, and downstream consumers being uh, perhaps concerned at China's dominance of the market, places us in, in quite an interesting position. But we'll be selling that concentrate in the short term via 
distribution and offtake agreement we've signed with the German blue chip company ThyssenKrupp, uh, and they will act on our behalf to find customers and, and sell the concentrate we produce. ThyssenKrupp is obviously a major company based in Europe. Um, is there going to be potential for any more contracts to come into place, or is that just the initial sort of thought of the business and company before you sort of ramp up production? Um, is there any sort of targets that you must hit and achieve for them before you can potentially do that? Well, the contract we've signed with, with ThyssenKrupp is for... 5,000 tonnes a year of concentrate and they have a right of first refusal over the next 5,000 tonnes of concentrate per year. So the the ramped up production target I talked about from the processing plant of 10,000 tonnes a year is catered for by that contract. Um, and if we reach those production levels, I'm sure we'd have another conversation with ThyssenKrupp to see if they wanted to, to work with us to sell more tonnes. Fingers crossed you've signed some sort of exclusivity deal and you can maintain a very high profit margin just by dealing direct with them. In regards, obviously, to your profit margins, what are sort of early, early hopes and figures based around the sales? I know it's well, going to be yeah, very yes. hard. Obviously, the, the sector you're in, there's not a lot of facts and figures out there. Um, However, obviously, based upon the competent person's report, hopefully you've got some sort of idea as to profitability going forwards. Well, that's right. The competent person's report is, is the document I can't stray from under the, the regulations, unfortunately. Um, we're tied to the numbers in the prospectus. I think it's fair to say we're comfortable with the production numbers in that competent person's report. But in terms of costs, what the competent person is is assuming per ton in the first year of operation is OPEX of $810 a ton. Um, and But that's based on their view of how many tons we're producing the first year. I, I think the key thing to note is as we ramp up production, because the production cost is relatively fixed, uh, our operating cost comes down on an average basis per ton quite significantly. Obviously, the more you produce, the cheaper it is to process and ship etc well that's right so, i mean the shipping cost per ton and, and processing cost per ton don't don't necessarily change much but actually our opex spread over all those tons does come right down definitely definitely so would you consider this to be a low risk project going forwards i think from a mining perspective it is is one of the more simple operations people will come across simply because our our mining method is, is relatively simple there's there's not a lot of stripping involved and then it's um extracting the run of mine or the vein material is is relatively simple so yeah that in itself is possibly more low risk than other mining operations it's not underground it's all at surface um from a capital expenditure point of view the, the numbers are small um and we think tightly controlled so there's less chance of um, a blowout or something going wrong on those numbers um, it is a startup mine effectively although it was a mine before in the 70s and we are restarting it so that's not without risks but the, the work we've done so far leads us to think we we have those controlled or, or can mitigate those risks so i think you know all those things considered it is good it is adequate to describe this as a low-risk mining project 
obviously the end user for the product is in the sort of green energy sector so you've got wind turbines you've got cars that are electrically powered or hybrid powered where do you see this sector going over the sort of next five to ten years because you've obviously got things like the Paris Agreement in place that a lot of governments have subscribed to. Well, I think it's it's useful to consider the the range of uses for rare earth elements. It's not just green power. I think you know, the biggest value driver of the rare earth is is rare earth magnets, and, and magnets are used uh, wherever there is an electric motor, effectively. So. Yeah, that needn't just be electric vehicles and, and wind turbines. Um, they're also used in, in your smartphone, your hard disk, disk drive, um, in cordless um, drills and whatever, uh, tools. Anything where there's an electric motor does use rare earth magnets. Um, but some of the other elements are used in fuel refining, in glass making, in, in lighting. So, yeah, as the world grows, we consume more of these rare earth elements. So... Yeah, you know, the forecasts are that consumption is going up on on a steady basis. But where you have uh, some of those market sectors where there is an impetus for growth, uh, and electric vehicles is one of those, uh, and wind turbines is another, I think you know, the omens look good. Right, Martin, I've ran out of questions now. It's been thoroughly enjoyable hearing about your new company. Is there anything you would like to add further? Well, I think if I, if I left you with, with three points, Stephen, about this project, it's it's the high grade of the deposit, which is unlike, we think, anything else out there in the world at the moment. It's the low cost and low capex mining, and it's the fact that the product is, is rare earth elements, which are set there and you know have a range of uses that uh, are forecast to grow rapidly. Three very key points there, Martin. Thank you very much for your time today, sir. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.